It's part two in programme one, the first of two programmes dealing with the execution of Dick Barrett and his three anti-treaty colleagues, Liam Mellows, Rory O'Connor and Joe McKelvey, during the Irish Civil War. The four were executed as a reprisal for the shooting dead of Sean Hale's TD the previous day, on December 7th, 1922. The play opens as Dick Barrett writes a final letter to his parents at Ballinine in West Cork before his execution. My dearest mother... I have been just called up from my old bed in cell 36, top landing. A little paper was read to me which stated that I am to be executed this morning at 8am as a reprisal for the murder of Sean Hales. I am quite prepared for the last long journey. There were three others brought out with me, Liam Mellows, Rory O'Connor and Joe McKelvey. I presume that these three great men will also pay the full penalty for loving Ireland. They too, like me, I'm sure, regret that the executioners should be Irishmen. Come... Now, sir, will I take these away? Oh, thank you, Margaret. I must say you spend more time at that window than at your desk. What can you be watching? Life, Margaret. Just life passing by. Has our four o'clock arrived? Dixon has. Three minutes late, I might add. But still no sign of Mr. Byrne? Oh, he won't be able to make it today, Margaret. He has to make a deadline on another case. I thought you might take his place, please. Oh, if you wish, sir. I should tell you, though, that I have little knowledge of those events. And please remember, I am no lawyer. And (laughs) certainly not a judge. Oh, don't worry, Margaret. I've written it out for you. you. You'll do fine. Very well. So, how does it work? Well, we use this exercise to test the strength of any case which could be taken against our client. In this instance, the government. Yes, sir. I know that. I meant, is it like a real court? Oh, not quite. It it moves more quickly our way. You'll see. And if, if you lose your way, I'll guide you through. So, how does he appear to you today? Hmm. Oh? Twitchy, sir. He's always twitchy. Well, then twitchier, if that is even a word. And he seems to have misplaced his razor. Oh, my. His razor. (laughs) Well, well. Very disrespectful, if you ask me. You are too patient with him, sir. He is useful, Margaret. He sees things through different eyes. You could try a little patience with him yourself, considering what he must have been through. Many more went through much worse, sir. Hmm. Nonetheless, bring him in. Very well, sir. I have put out the file for your meeting with the minister. I take it that is still going ahead tomorrow? Oh, yes, Margaret, but it's informal. Um, just a chat on the fairway. I shan't need the file. Oh, Will I put it away again, sir? Oh, no, no, I may well use it just now. Right. You may go in now. 
Thank you, ma'am. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, Mr. Dixon, take a seat. How have you gotten on? Rather well, sir, all things considering. Passions are still running very high. I have not been able to collect all the information I should have wished to. But I I have enough to draw some conclusions and and make recommendations. Excellent. There is much to discuss. We shall proceed then. It being Friday afternoon, I should like to be home to my wife before dark. Tempus fugit. This may take some time, sir. There have been some gross transgressions of the law committee. Tough times, Mr. Dixon. Tough times call for tough measures. Uh, Excuse me? Uh, Mr. Byrne is unavailable, so I've asked Margaret to fill in for him. What? No, no, sir. Some of my evidence is quite graphic. Uh, Now, Margaret, if you sit at my desk and read this. Sir, the charge is one of unlawful killing. This case concerns events which happened over three years ago during the period that is commonly referred to as the Irish Civil War and specifically the events of the 8th of December 1922. Mr Dixon will present the case for the prosecution and, sir, you will defend the state. And we will begin with opening arguments... Mr. Dixon. Uh, Before you proceed, Mr. Dixon, it might be useful to give a short background to the conflict for Miss O'Connor's sake. Oh, of course, sir, Your Honour. The conflict had been building for months, uh, particularly after General Michael Collins was killed in action that August. In September, the government passed the army resolution which sets up military courts to conduct trials and carry out executions by October. October, those executions have begun. This brings huge pressure on the anti-treaty forces and their chief of staff threatens to have any TD who had voted for the army resolution shot on sight unless the execution policy is rescinded. The executions continue. On the 6th of December, the government transitions from being a provisional one under the Crown to an official independent one. The Irish Free State is born. The following day, the 7th of December, General Sean Hale's TD is assassinated by anti Brutally assassinated, please. Indeed, sir. Brutally assassinated by anti-treaty forces in Dublin. That evening, the government executive passes a vote allowing for the execution of selected prisoners. Then... In the early hours of the 8th of December 1922, four prisoners being held in Mountjoy Jail are woken from their slumber, taken to the prison yard and executed. Is that sufficient, Margaret? Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr Dixon. So, opening arguments? I will pursue three distinct avenues. Firstly... I will prove that in at least one man's case, selection for execution was made with malice. He was killed for who he was rather than for what he had done. Secondly, I will show that the executions themselves were carried out in a shambolic and cruel fashion. Therefore, the government was negligent in its duty of care to men in their custody. 
Thirdly, I will demonstrate that everything that happened on that morning was illegal. We will then be forced to come to the following conclusion. The government, through the military, used justice as a weapon with the sole objective of winning the war. Thank you, Your Honour. Sir, your opening statement. Thank you, Your Honour. The prosecution would have you believe that normal law can be applied in this case. It cannot. The country was engaged in a vicious civil war and, as a result, was under martial law. The prosecution is correct. The government did use the policy of execution to win the war, but... Excuse me, sir. Are you conceding Mr. Dixon's conclusion? Uh, Yes, Your Honour. But I'm asserting that the government was not only entitled to, but indeed was obliged to do so to protect the state and its citizens. Now, Margaret, you may call on Mr. Dixon to make his case. Uh, During this, I will make objections to the points he makes, and if you agree with any objection, say sustained. If you disagree, say overruled. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Mr. Dixon? Yes, uh, Your Honour. I have decided to present the case for one of those executed, Commandant Richard Barrett, known as Dick, and use this as proxy for the other three, O'Connor, McKelvey and Mellows. My reasons for this are as follows... Objection! His reasons for his decision are his own. We do not need to know the why. Who, what, where, when and how are facts. Why is not a fact, Your Honour? Oh, sustained. Very well. So to begin with, this was an act of revenge... Dick Barrett and Sean Hales were neighbours and had been close friends. It's believed Hales swore Barrett into the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Objection. Supposition. Sustained. Oh, Your Honour, if this was a proper trial instead of a legal exercise, I would be in a position to call witnesses to back up my arguments. Because of this, I would ask that some hearsay and supposition be allowed. Sir? Oh, reasonable enough, Your Honour. Please. The two men had strong connections through the GAA and the Gaelic League. During the War of Independence, both had attained high rank within the IRA. Sean Hales was a general, while Commandant Barrett was the Assistant Quartermaster General. Many of the former comrades of the two men have spoken of their friendship and would, no doubt, happily testify to it. So it appears that Barrett was chosen for execution precisely because of this friendship. This was personal, as revenge usually is. Objection, Dixon. It appears that again is supposition. Furthermore, you have not yet proved that this was revenge. You could at least offer some evidence to support your claims. Uh, There is little in the way of documentation available. However... In the aftermath of the execution, General Hales's family wrote a letter to a local newspaper in which they call the killings revenge. They also pleaded for there to be no reprisals from either side. What an incredibly gracious thing to do. Indeed, Your Honour. But should any of that family give testimony, their opinion would surely carry great weight. I dare say. And then... There are Barrett's own words. In the hours before his death, 
he wrote several letters to family in which he tells of being called up from his bed and a little paper being read to him which stated, I am to be executed this morning as a reprisal for the murder of Sean Hale. Objection! Nemo moriturus presumptur mentiri. Sir? No man dies with a lioness lips. As he knew he was about to die, these letters constitute a deathbed declaration, which have always been allowed in evidence. Your Honour. Overruled. Touché, Mr Dixon, touché. And were you able to find the little paper which was read to Mr Barrett? No, I, I was not. My suspicion is that a great many documents have been destroyed. Hmm. Oh, all of this is moot anyway. The official government press release actually uses the term reprisal in relation to the executions. Enough. It is conceded. Mr Dixon, what of the others? If Mr Barrett's selection was made with malice, what of theirs? Was it by choice or chance? Uh, sorry, Margaret. I forgot to mention that our judge does not ask questions. Oh. But uh, by all means, Mr Dixon. All had been arrested for their part in the taking of the four courts. But selection appears to have been based on geographical grounds. Dick Barrett was from Munster. Rory O'Connor, Leinster. Liam Mellows, Connacht, and Joe McKelvey, Ulster. Their selection was intended to send a message out in every direction to teach all the others a lesson. <sighs> so, that concludes the First Avenue for the prosecution. Sir? Uh, right. The... Prosecution states that the government used justice as a weapon. But if these fellows were involved in taking over the court buildings, they were trying to undermine that very system of justice itself. But they never faced trial for that, or indeed for any crime. They were punished for something they had nothing to do with. They were trying to overthrow the state. Th that is not disputed. Their objective, Your Honour, was to cause the state to collapse and forced Britain to resume the war in Ireland until a so-called better outcome could be achieved. Yes, but they were not some random band of villains. These were the men who had defeated the Crown forces. After the truce, most of the IRA took the anti-treaty side in the conflict. And most of the population took the other side. They voted for it. They had enough of war, from the national volunteers with the push for home rule to the Great War, <coughs> the Easter Rising and the War of Independence, and finally, they had something that they never had before. A victory. Imperfect, to be sure, but a trickler would fly over Dublin Castle. Just now, while taking my tea, I noticed on the street below a young woman. She was obviously waiting. Objection, Your, Your Honour, this isn't relevant. Overruled. Uh, thank you, Your Honour. Then a man comes along. He takes her hand, kisses her on the cheek, and off they stroll. And this is what people want. An ordered life, doing ordinary things, not chaos. <coughs> they... uh, one moment, sir. <coughs> Are you all right, Mr. Dixon? Uh, you appear to be in some discomfort. Yes. Uh, begging your pardon, Your Honour, I, I, I might stand. By all means. 
Shall I get you some water? Uh, no, I, I'm fine. It, it's just my leg. Sometimes it helps if I move around. <clears throat> Please, sir, continue. Uh, we can take a recess if you need. Oh, oh no, sir. No, I'm, I'm fine. Please, continue. Oh, uh, well, my point is made. Uh, you may carry on. Uh, th- thank you. <clears throat> now, the second avenue for the prosecution is the manner in which the executions were carried out. Objection, Your Honour. The defence will have any such account dismissed as irrelevant. It does not matter how these men were killed. It only matters that they were killed legally. Uh, Reaching, Mr Dixon? Well, reaching is exactly what the prosecution will do. And we must expect them to succeed. The case we are playing out today could only come about if this government were to be replaced by one more sympathetic to these men's cause, as could happen, for instance, in the next general election. That, sir, is outrageous. You are inferring that the judiciary is not impartial, that judges would... Judges are appointed... Gentlemen... ...by governments. To say that a judge could not be influenced by the government of the day is at best disingenuous, and at worst, sir, naive. Naive! Please, gentlemen... You are allowing your political bias to cloud your view of the law. I am aware of my own prejudice, sir. I don't need you to point them out to me. Please, let us keep this civilised. Yes, my my apologies, Your Honour. Yes, Margaret, quite correct. I am compelled to say I find your passion for this man's case surprising. I would have expected more detachment, what with you being, well... Um, Englishman, sir? Quite. Mr Barrett and his comrades have had everything taken from them. As they cannot state their names aloud and make their case, I am happy to advocate. Mm -hmm. You criticise me for, for sticking to my guns? You're not sticking to your guns, Dixon. You just don't know how to move away from them. Shall we proceed, gentlemen? Of course. The executions themselves were nothing short of a shambles. It does not matter. But, sir, you said yourself the how is a fact, and as such is admissible. So I have a feeling it matters very much. Thank you, Your Honour. The firing party consists of two lines, each composed of ten men. Their volley of shots does not bring about the death of Mr Barrett. Only one man dies at this stage, Mr O'Connor. According to the prisoners in the nearby women's jail, who hear and count the shots, nine further single shots ring out. The custom being, when a firing party is not efficient in their work, an officer takes his pistol and finishes the job. Good God. Good God, indeed. This process is called the... The coup de grace. Correct, sir. It is now known that, after the volley of shots, one of the men, though I haven't been able to ascertain which one, asked to be put out of his misery, is shot again, and then had to ask one more time for his suffering to be ended. Dreadful. In all, it takes 29 rounds 
to produce the deaths of four men. Oh, Lord. That must surely amount to an act of gross cruelty perpetrated upon those souls. But... And all the trumpets will sound for them on the other side. Will you excuse me, please? Margaret, are you all right? Please, sir, I just need a moment. I'll be with you presently. Is she... I I think she'll be fine. Uh, Just a little upset. You should know better, Dixon, a man with your experiences. Some of these details are not suitable for a woman's ear. You should have moderated your evidence. I did. Have you ever served? What? Have you ever been in battle? It's a little different in practice. Dixon. Yes? What you said earlier, that cannot be correct. How could... Some of the soldiers miss on purpose. They didn't want to fire on their former comrades. Others miss because they are drunk. Drunk? Bottles of whiskey were left in the soldiers' rooms the night before and later on. A number of men said they could not even remember what had taken place. This actually happened? You're certain? At a later date, the army started billing the government for whiskey, so... Ah, Margaret, uh, I think we might call it a day. Mr. Dixon, will you proceed, please? Uh, I, I, I believe, sir, may be correct. I would very much like to continue this process to its conclusion. When these events were taking place, I made a conscious decision, for personal reasons, to not give them my attention. I now would like to hear everything. Please. As you wish, Margaret. And part two of The Case Currently in Hand can be heard at the same time next week on Where the Road Takes Me. But coming up in part three of Where the Road Takes Me this evening, more discussion on the execution of Dick Barrett and his three colleagues during the Civil War. And that's directly after the break.